immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. This episode is sponsored by Spatial, the immersive audio software that gives a new dimension to sound. Spatial gives creators the tools to create interactive soundscapes using our powerful 3D offering tool. The software modernizes traditional channel-based audio by rethinking how we hear and feel immersive experiences anywhere. To find out more, go to www.spatiallink.com. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of Immersive Audio Podcast. With me, your host, Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. Hi, Monica. How are you? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. I finally recovered from my illness, as I just said, uh, which feels really good because I've been really suffering for the last three weeks, but uh, still working, powering through. What have you been up to? Any news? I got to do a fun little tour over at uh, the Mix Center um, at Arizona State University. Um, They have a new facility that they've been building out there um, with, uh, they've got like three giant sound stages. They have a bunch of immersive audio facilities. Um, They're building out a a black box theater that will have 64 channels of audio and black and uh, projection screens and got to kind of go play in that space. Also met um, Garth Payne. He's doing some interesting research over there in acoustic ecology and has an ambisonics dome. So lots of fun stuff. I was kind of never, uh, you know, ASU is kind of a newer place on my radar, but they've got some really cool things going on over there. Very cool. How's the new job going? Uh, the new job is it's still it's going great. Yeah, I'm enjoying all of the people I'm working with, and you know we're trekking away on doing a, a lot of adaptive, you know, musical stuff and making things, um, yeah, better and smoother. What about you? What have you been up to, Oliver? Well, uh, this month predominantly we've been powering through uh, one of the main projects we've got now, which is a like a three film VR installation for Illinois Center of Holocaust in Chicago. Project that's been happening for quite a few months now, but we're in final stages of post production. Yeah, really important project, fact based, historical capturing the encounters and interviews with the three Holocaust survivors that still. Um, around telling the very important story and the message from, you know, from first hand. So I've been really enjoying working on that. Um, also back to teaching. Um, so just uh, resumed uh, second semester at University of Huddersfield, uh, doing an updated uh, module um, audio for virtual reality systems uh, with a small group of uh, master students. So that's been not too much teaching, but a uh, little bit of teaching uh, is quite nice. Um, and I think an, another piece of news that I just literally just happened the other day is that my PhD study is finally in the wild. All the missing uh, elements were finally pushed in the update. So yeah, I mentioned the study that I'm doing in collaboration with Body Swaps, who provide a virtual training simulation um, for various scenarios. And um, the module we're collaborating on uh, specifically is the public speaking module 
the the current study essentially includes two identical versions of uh, a whole training package that in, consists of uh, multiple uh, chapters that specifically address charisma, confidence, um, you know, and various kind of speech related uh, tasks and, and qualities. And uh, one of the versions uh, that is deployed with 3D sound and another one isn't. So basically that's the difference in terms of the uh, oralization and kind of uh, vocalization of avatars and all that. It's, it's completely identical. The only thing is that it's not externalized and the other one is. All right. Well, we're going to welcome our guest today. Agnieszka Rozenska is a professor of music technology at New York University. She conducts research in the simulation and applications of immersive and 3D audio, including the capture, analysis, and synthesis of auditory environments. Applications of her work include AR, VR, XR, gaming, mission-critical, and augmented acoustic sensing. She is the author of numerous publications on the topics of acoustics and psychoacoustics of immersive audio. Agnishka is a fellow of the Audio Engineering Society and a past president of the AES. She is the faculty sponsor of the Society for Women in Technology at NYU. Agnishka, thank you for joining us today and welcome. Well, You'd like to start off just kind of um, getting some background. So would you like to just tell us how you got into spatial audio and some of the research work that you are now doing at NYU? Sure. Yeah. So my journey uh, into spatial audio has been um, has been a journey. I actually started off um, very from a very young age. I was into into music. I played piano and did my undergraduate studies in piano performance at McGill. And um, this was in the early 90s. And during that time, I discovered the um, the area of of music technology. Back then, the program at McGill was called Computer Applications in Music, and it really opened my world to electronic music, to working with, um, at that time, it was mostly analog technology, although we also started working on digital technologies. And um, I also discovered a passion for sound recording and audio engineering in general. And um, I pursued a master's degree in music technology at NYU. And it was during my time here in the mid-90s at NYU that I started reading a lot about the field of 3D sound, which at the time looked very different from what 3D sound looks like uh, today. And I remember I was reading a paper that really opened my eyes to what 3D sound is. I had never really thought about the fact that we only have two ears, but yet we can we gather so much information from from the sound coming into those two ears. Uh, we gather information about the content, about where sounds are, how they're moving, the spaces that we're in. And I really started to think a lot about 3D sound. And um, we were lucky at the time um, in our lab to get... Uh, uh, I think the most powerful powerful computer that we could get our hands on at the time, which was an SGI-02. And I started to do implementation of 3D sound in real time. And that led me to dive into this big hole of, uh, of research um, on spatial audio. And um, I continued um, to do my PhD. I went to Northwestern um, to do a PhD in music technology and really uh, studying 3D sound. Um, 
And um, I, uh, after that, I moved to California, to the Bay Area, and um, started working with applications, research and applications of 3D sound, um, more, more in the mission critical space, meaning I was working for applications in military and um, I was working with various labs around the United States and uh, Navy, the Air Force, NASA, um, the Army. And I was um, working on both basic research, but also applications of incorporating spatial audio into various systems. And I found that to be very, very cool. I'm a musician by by my nature and also my background, but I never really thought at the time that spatial audio could have such a big impact and function um, and use, important use in these more mission-critical mission um, kinds of environments. Um, and then I worked for um, a short period of time at, at Sennheiser um, in, uh, in Palo Alto, um, and then uh, I came to NYU and never really thought about academia um, at the time. I thought, oh, this is something that old people will do and something that I might do when I'm much, much later in my years. But um, uh, the opportunity of being at NYU and going back to uh, more of the music applications um, was very enticing to me. The ability of uh, being able to to work on research projects that are close to my heart, very important to me, and also very importantly to me personally is working with students. Um, so I came to NYU in 2006 and have been here ever since as a professor in music technology. And I work with um, our, our pretty large program here at NYU, students um, who are interested in, in immersive sound. So I work with um, PhD students, master's students, undergraduate students, and guide them on in their own research in immersive sound, and um, as well as focusing on my own research projects um, that span uh, a very wide breadth of, of research in 3D sound and immersive audio. But, um, on one end is like doing basic research and spatial hearing and looking at important factors. And then on the other end of the spectrum is uh, applications of, um, of immersive sound in, uh, in various, various applications I work with right now. Can you get a little bit deeper into what your current role at New York University entails and um, what some of the uh, focuses um, the institution is kind of working on with uh, spatial audio currently? Yeah, so at NYU, um, I'm a professor in the music technology program and um, um, I had been for many years the associate director of the program, so I was also involved on the administrative side of the program. Um, I, for a while, I was running um, summer programs for high school students in music technology. Um, right now, my role is as a professor and um, working with a, a wide range of students. Our program here is fairly large, so we have a total of about 300 students. Uh, that span across undergraduate, masters, and PhD students, and um, you know I find that every university uh, in the United States, but also around the world, has a different flavor of music technology. So when when we think of music technology at NYU, we think really about the breadth of the field, and the field that is expanding. I always like to say it's like it's like the universe. It seems to be expanding at a at a faster and faster rate. Um, you know, uh, uh, decades ago when the program at NYU started. It was electronic music. We had sound recording. It's, that's pretty much all it was, you know, when we think back about 50 years ago. 
And um, especially since I've gotten here in, in 2006, the field of, of music technology has expanded tremendously. And our program really reflects that. So we have um, uh, students who focus in the area of recording and production. Um, we have a significant number of students who are doing work in music information retrieval, uh, music informatics in general, machine learning. Um, we have a branch of our students who are working in music cognition. Uh, there are students who are working in electronic music and and electronics and um, user interface design and so on. Um, there's a significant number of students now who are working in immersive sound and everything that comes under that. So we're talking about um, both using immersive sound and recording and production um, in the move and sound for the moving image. Um, we have a lot of students who are very interested in in the use of immersive sound in gaming, in augmented reality, and virtual reality. You know, thinking about all those those uses of immersive sound in in the different realities, um, and that's really the branch of of um, teaching and of research that I focus on. So I work with a, a large number of students now who are interested in this in this field, and some of them are coming more from the engineering background. Right, so we're looking at signal processing techniques, and we're looking at um, the science of, of how we hear sound in three-dimensional space. But there's also the other side, which is the more creative, the artistic side of um, using spatial audio for various applications, including installations, including uh, pieces, including um, compositions, including recording, um, and designing experiences that are compelling, that that emo evoke emotion. Uh, so we're asking questions about uh, what kind of an impact does immersion and and the sense of space have on our on our emotions, and how can we uh, better understand the relationship between how sound is presented to us, regardless of whether it's presented over headphones or over multiple loudspeakers, and what kind of um, engagement and the sense of immersion that that creates within a listener and a participant in an experience. Oh, I love all of that. <laughs> We're going to like digress a little bit and go um get a little bit of background and talking about your involvement with AES and why upcoming professionals should consider to be involved. Yeah, so the Audio Engineering Society is, is um, probably the longest society of uh, devoted to um, audio engineers. In fact, this year we're celebrating our 75th anniversary. So it's a big year for the Audio Engineering Society. Um, my involvement um, of with AES started uh, well over 20 years ago. Um, I, I was a student at the time, and um, I uh, discovered the, the AES as an amazing community of audio engineers uh, that spans across across the planet. I think the AES now has members um, on, in all continents. In fact, I, I used to say, except for Antarctica, but that's no longer true. Apparently, we have a member in Antarctica as well. Awesome. <laughs> um, so it's a it's a fairly large <laughs> society, uh, over 10,000, 11,000 members. Um, uh, and the AES really focuses and devotes itself to uh, pr promoting education and building community around audio engineering and audio engineering in every sense of the word. Um, so not just the traditional audio engineering, but really spanning now the breadth of where audio engineering um, uh, is. So there's a large community of students, uh, of educators, of scientists, of researchers, 
of practitioners, of experts in the field of audio um, and audio engineering. And um, I found that for me personally, this has been such a powerful experience and, and connecting with other people who are um, interested in the same thing. And the AES um, has two conventions every year. One is in North America um, in the fall, and uh, the second convention is in the spring in Europe. And has, in addition to that, a number of conferences that are more devoted to focused and specific topics around audio engineering. Um, so we just had a, a, a conference in, in August on AR and VR, the AVR conference. Um, there's one, uh, there was a big conference around automotive audio. Um, <clears throat> there's a conference coming up on spatial audio, on um, educators. Um, so there are, there are conferences on many different topics that are really uh, focused in, um, in that specific area. And um, uh, so I was first a member as a student member. This is, as I said, over 20 years ago. Then I became more involved in the society when I came to NYU. And I became uh, involved in um, helping organize the conventions here in New York City. And um, then I became a member of the Board of Governors. And that took me along a trajectory of becoming much more involved from an organizational perspective with the Audio Engineering Society, and mainly because I found it to have tremendous value for students, for um, the, the, the researchers, for the professionals. I just found such immense value in being part of this community. And through my work at NYU, I always encourage students to become members of the AES so they could learn um, from all the professionals um, in, in, in the world and what they're doing and connect, connect to an incredibly large network of professionals. Um, in 2020, I was the president of the AES. That was a fun year to be president for sure because the world shut down. Um, and um, right now I'm uh, on the board of directors and helping um, be part of that uh, small uh, community to, to run the organization. I also have a role as a co-chair of the uh, events coordination committee, which is a committee that oversees all AES events, including conventions, conferences, um, training and development events. So we, we kind, of, kind of oversee all of the events that go on uh, at the AES. You know, I, I went to the AVAR conferences. Um, I think I actually went to the first AVAR conference. Um, yeah, the one up in uh, um, in Redmond. I bet there was the first one that was actually, it was kind of like a smaller meeting at uh, um, the AES in Los Angeles. And yeah, I think, yeah, I remember listening to Poppy Crum talking about uh, the uh, research she was doing at Dolby Labs around kind of ears and HRTF uh, functions and was very fascinated with like all of the stuff she was discovering. Um, and yeah, I know it's, a, I, th I think there's some really, you know, great, great uh, research that gets presented at these conferences. And again, you know, great community to be built. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, the AVAR in 2020 was, uh, about audio and virtual reality, but it was also in virtual reality. Right? So the whole conference, because we couldn't meet in person uh, that year, um, was in a virtual reality space, which was so incredible. But luckily, this one uh, in 2022 was in person, and it was uh, uh, it was the second event that I went to that was an in-person event, and it was just so great to reconnect everybody in person and be in the same room and talk about interesting things. Uh, Agnieszka, you're you're again involved in so many different uh, 
things. Um, can you also talk about the faculty sponsorship initiative for the Society for Women in Technology at NYU and uh, what it's for? Sure. I'm very happy to talk about that. So um, SWITCH is a um, is an entity within NYU that came out of discussions that we had when I more or less first joined NYU, um, where I, I realized that we have very few um, non-male students in, in our program. And uh, at the time when I first came here in the undergraduate program, I think out of 120 students, we had something like five women. And I thought, of course, I was coming out from the military space where it usually was like one woman. <laughs> so I thought, oh, this is this is much better. But I thought, you know what? I don't. First, I wanted to understand why there was this big imbalance in our um, not just in this program, but in our industry, especially um, in the audio engineering industry, where there was such a big imbalance. And um, I had many conversations both within my um, my university, but also within the community uh, of audio engineers and. Um, and starting realizing that the first thing we need to do is create a community where people feel like they belong to this community. And so um, I created SWITCH, the Society for Women in Technology, along with uh, students who were at the in the program at that time. Um, so it is now a club where it is, it, and now it's really expanded. It's not just for women. It's, it's really for underrepresented groups within music technology and audio engineering. Um, and um, the Society for Women in Technology uh, g- gathers together and uh, we um, uh, our purpose is to not just have the community and feel like we can talk about things um, that are sometimes difficult to, to talk about, some of the obstacles that we face as um, smaller groups within audio engineering, but it's also a place to learn. So um, right now, the president um, of Switch is uh, Richa Nambala, and she and uh, the group of of, um, of people who run the Switch organize events to educate each other, to learn from one another, um, invite guest speakers. So it's really a, a great way for the community to to be together and also connect with other communities who have the same purpose, which is to find ways to improve the kind of diversity that we have in our industry. Because I think we all realize, we're starting to really realize this now, that diversity makes us so much stronger. Having multiple points of view um, from people who are of uh, different ethnic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, uh, genders, and all that makes us a much, much stronger community and a much stronger intellectual community, intellectual presence. I know, uh, kind of going back to the the conversation of Poppy uh, Crum and her kind of presentation at the AR, she was talking about, you know, how different, um, how, because like most of the people in these, uh, you know, research facilities were male, they had larger ears and like women have just like smaller ears in general. And so a lot of these initial kind of binaural HRTFs were being modeled off of people with you know, larger ears and, you know, having kind of that diversity, you know, in the um, actual kind of ear shape, you know, in, in within research institutes, whether, you know, again, it's not just women, but different cultures of people, you know, different kinds of ear shapes and getting that diversity, you know, is an important thing to have. But if what you have is in a research institute is a very small kind of pool, it really, you know, controls, you know, what you're you know, that it ends up making a um, product that is really oriented towards just one community. I thought that was a great kind of representation of why diversity is important, you know, in even within these research institutions. 
institutions and kind of these smaller, you know, facilities where a lot of this research is being done. No, absolutely. And I think that um, having people who come together, who come from different backgrounds, have different ideas, um, look different, contributes to new ideas being generated. And especially in academic institutions, research institutions, where your purpose is to, to, to gain knowledge and to move our knowledge forward, to really not do the same thing over and over and over again, to move our knowledge forward in a, in a direction that expands our way to, to express ourselves, our ways of creating new technologies, our ways of using technolo- already existing technologies. I think if we just focus on one group of people, we're just going to be doing the same thing over and over again. And that's not the point. The point is to uh, expand this universe of music technology and of audio. And so when we bring people together, when we bring people together, the composers, the scientists, the engineers, uh, men, women, people from different backgrounds, different ideas, that's when magic happens. That's really when you have that magical combination uh, of ideas and um, and thinking about where what can we do together. And um, from my experience, my personal experience is when you throw a bunch of good students into a room who are coming from different backgrounds, even though they they think they don't have a lot of things in common. So you can you you have the com- the electronic music composer, and then you have a, a an engineer who has maybe little background in in music, but you know a lot of background in audio. They start talking together and amazing things happen, really amazing things happen. So getting that flow is very important and getting that kind of inclusion and diversity of of ideas, uh, of backgrounds, it's so important when we think about moving our field and our industry forward. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a, you know, definite thing for everyone to think about in our industry. Our hot topic today is academic research and publishing, and uh, it's something we haven't really covered in the past, and uh, we have a perfect guest to explore this today. Well, Agnieszka, firstly, um, could you give us an overview of the kind of topics you've conducted the research over the years yourself um, and collaboratively? Uh, what motivated you to explore these specific elements and within the field of 3D audio? Because you have quite a portfolio there. Before coming to NYU, I did a lot of research on HRTFs and um, measuring HRTFs, analyzing HRTFs, looking at factors that make um, the the way we hear sounds from a physiological perspective um, different, looking at commonalities between some cues that people have, uh, both uh, physically but also subjectively and psychoacoustically. Um Currently, my research can be divided into several uh, several areas within spatial audio. So on um, on one side, I look I have I do research in spatial hearing, uh, looking at some of the factors that contribute to uh, to localization. And right now, uh, a lot of the applications I work on are related to AR and VR. Um, so, for example, we look at how putting just the fact that you're putting on a headset, how that impacts the cues that your ears have. Um, especially for augmented reality, how just putting on a headset, how, do, how does that distort the cues that you're listening with? Um, and I do um, quite a bit of research on um, looking at the perceptual factors that are important in spatial hearing, but looking at different applications. So 
Um, for example, um, maybe the cues that are important to us and the experience that's important to us when we're listening to music are not necessarily the the same um, cues and the same important factors that when you were listening, when we're working on mission critical applications where localization accuracy might be the most important factor and having that sub one degree localization accuracy is really what we're looking for. So maybe, so looking at not just spatial hearing and localization accuracy as a general thing, but looking what are the important parameters in different kinds of applications within audio um, for these for these different things. Uh, so this is kind of like a, like the the basic research uh, that we're doing here. I'm also looking at research uh, and and contribution, the con- contribution of spatial audio processing quality on the impact of um, the sense of immersion and engagement. And right now we're doing um, a study that looks at those factors of, you know, how does immersion get invoked or engagement in gaming? And how does the quality of spatial audio matter? Does it matter when we're talking about invoking the sense of immersion in gaming? And so we're looking at it from a subjective perceptual quality. Uh, we did a bunch of uh, behavioral studies and now we're going and using, um, looking at brain activity. So we're putting people in an MEG and looking how their brains behave when we're playing to them different qualities of spatial audio, whether it's binaural or, or surround or, or other, um, uh, other ways or stereo, other ways of presenting spatial audio. So we're looking at like how the, yes, that we have these emotions that get invoked, but how does that affect the brain? And can we monitor this uh, with the hope of maybe sometime in the future, maybe we'll be able to predict how the quality of spatial audio will impact a person's sense of immersion and engagement. Um, I'm also, I also have run some research in distributed immersive experiences. So we're looking at understanding the impact of, of acoustics, um, of latency, uh, and along with other factors on collaborative experiences. When you have participants, sometimes they may be in the same space, in the same room, uh, but they're working with virtual objects in that room, or uh, oftentimes these participants are in different locations, geographically speaking, and they are collaborating together. They're collaborating um, together on, um, like right now I'm working with musicians uh, or dancers, um, and we're using immersive techniques to capture the the sound of the musicians um, and to um, make them feel like they're really part of one experience. So um, right now we're preparing for a concert that's going to be um, actually in Arizona at the University of Arizona, part of the Turn Up Festival. And uh, we're going to have musicians who are going to be there locally on stage. And uh, we will have musicians here at NYU uh, and dancers who are going to be also at NYU with a mocap system. So we're capturing um, the musician's sound, but we're also capturing the movements of the dancers who are here and bringing them together in a way that hopefully makes them feel like they're part of one experience. So it makes them feel like they're part of one room, one experience. So of course there are a lot of technical questions and a lot of technical challenges um, that we've been um, um, working on here at NYU, developing a super low latency data transmission system of, of data, various types of data, uh, and also looking at the acoustic factors of uh, matching uh, uh, reverberation of looking at how that that impacts the sense for the musicians to be working um, together. 
Um, another project that I'm working on right now is with a collaborator um, in the physiotherapy. We're looking at the impact of spatial audio on balance research. So we're working with, with patients and, and assessing how when we put patients in a um, in a VR environment who have balance problems. You know, historically, we've known the impact of the visual sense on balance. And we're looking now at the impact of the of, of audio, of spatial audio, and how spatial audio can impact how we balance ourselves and also um, what factor, what parameters of sound can play a key role in helping people who have balance um, balance problems to help them recover from these. Um, and then I would say my the last kind of bucket of of the research that I do is a project uh, with a bunch of collaborators, professors here at NYU, on thinking about the future of immersive and collaborative experiences. So we're kind of projecting ourselves maybe, I don't know, seven, ten years down the line and thinking like, what will these immersive experiences from an audio, from a visual, from a haptic, from a robotic perspective, what will that look like? And trying to to work uh, on some of these ideas uh, right now so that we can ask the right questions and create platforms, not just for us, but for other researchers to, um, to think about how we can develop these technologies, these ideas, how we can ask the questions so we can move uh, this industry and these types of experiences forward. Agnieszka, my next question is, uh, when do you sleep? <laughs> 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 I would say I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> wow, that's that's a lot. That's um, a lot, a lot to be involved with. Um, there's one one of the areas you mentioned is uh, is uh, near and dear to me personally. The I actually read your paper on engagement, and I believe the research you're conducting now is um, connected to that preliminary study that you published uh, before on immersion and engagement. Um, for my own study, I'm looking at uh, memory retention and cognitive load uh, impact from um, spatial and interactive audio within context of virtual training in, in VR. So I'm, I'm looking forward to your results of your studies where you're adding the neuro, neuroscience component as well. It's interesting to see like because a lot of this stuff has been perceptual over the years. The measurement of brain activity is being added to the equation, which makes things really exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that you know, there, to to gain an, um, an awareness and, and knowledge in any field, there are many different layers that you can attack this. So, you know, we we looked at the, the behavioral, so looking at the subjective testing, uh, which is very important to understand because, uh, you know, the, the, the quantifiable data adds on to this. But if we want to create the relationship of like, how do we, how do we think we we feel immersed. And what your brain is actually telling you are two different ways of looking at hopefully the same thing, but they're complementary in nature. So I think looking at both sides is very important um, and, and understanding also how different people, uh, what different factors are important to different people. So looking at uh, young students and then looking at uh, maybe um, older adults and then looking at even older adults, um, different factors may be important to those. You know, a lot of this research that you're doing, I'm curious, how do you do a lot of collaboration then with other departments um, at the university? And how does that collaborative uh, relationship look like? Yeah, so a lot of the work that I do is collaborative. Um, so you you asked the question of when do I sleep, Oliver? And I'll, I'll say that the only reason why I'm able to do uh, uh, to work on these projects, these very exciting projects, is because 
I have a, a, an amazing community here with me. But students, I have the privilege of working with very smart students. And I also have the privilege of working with collaborators, other professors in both within my department, within my program, and also outside of my program in other schools, um, where we we come together and um, we can build these projects and we can build these ideas because we are coming at these problems from different perspectives. So I find it's very, I could never do any of this if it were just, just me. No way. I mean, my students are, are my, my army of knowledge and they're the ones who actually go there and this is how they learn. And I think uh, at NYU, our philosophy, um, at least in our program, is that we involve students in everything that we do, right? Everything that we are here for the students and we involve the students in everything that we do. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful relationship because this is how they learn. Um, and this is also what allows us to produce so much knowledge and so much research and publications. One of the things that I run here at NYU is an interest group, the Immersive Audio Interest Group, which is a group that is, it's not part of any coursework. It's not required. Nobody tells you to show up to this. It's just students who are interested in immersive sound who come together and we meet and it is very student driven. We work on things that the students are interested in and um, the outcome uh, from those have been anywhere from uh, publications to things that are very artistic in nature. Um, but through uh, working on these kinds of projects, this is how our students learn and contribute to the knowledge. So to answer your question, yes, I have a lot of collaborators. Um, uh, right now, one of the funded research projects I'm working on is an NSF grant um, that uh, where we're building the holodeck and uh, building the infrastructure to um, allow us to collaborate with others. But the only reason why we're able to do this is because there's a person, there's you know, a bunch of collaborators and everybody has their superpower. So we come, uh, we're like the Avengers and we come together and um, we're able together to build something that is quite grandiose. Yeah, I know within uh, like institutions, a lot of times some of the, the challenges are that there's a lot of siloing going on and that institutions don't really or you know, different um, programs within institutions don't really talk to each other. So it's, it's really cool to see how much you're able to create this collaborative nature between, you know, different departments and, you know, working with getting your students involved to do a lot of the research that you are doing. Yeah, and it's and certainly a process. It's not something that happens um, overnight. No collaboration can happen overnight. It takes uh, quite a bit of time to get that going. And I think um, the the successful collaborations, from my experience, have come when you're looking at where there's um, from from both sides there is a um, a level of both interest and support. So we have a lot of support at NYU from our administration to, to create collaborative projects, but also all the faculty that, that I know um, is by nature very collaborative and, um, and allocates a lot of importance to collaborative projects and projects that involve students and other faculty. Um, so I think when we have to kind of look at it holistically. Uh, and only then do we have a chance of making collaborations work. But the collaborators I work with now, I've had relationships with for a very long time, years and years. And in fact, um, I collaborate with people who are outside of NYU, people I've known for literally decades. Um, and uh, and it's fun. And the, and the bottom line is I love what I do. 
Like I can, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking, I can't believe I do this every day. I get to do this and work with these super smart, uh, passionate uh, people who are into the same things that I'm into. So you do actually sleep sometimes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of collaborations and bigger picture, um, in your opinion, why research is so important to the industry and how does it practically translate to the growth and development? Yeah, so I think that um, our field, I think more than a lot of um, other fields, by nature is a field that is expanding and evolving at a tremendous rate. Like when, when even you think about where audio was, even five years ago, I mean, think about how far we've come in the past five years, let alone the past 20 years. And 20 years is a very short period of time. So our field is by nature and by definition, a field that evolves very quickly. Um, and I think the reason for that is because we have this these two parts to it. There's the science and the engineering, and then there's the the art. And I think both of those fields kind of feed off of one another. So you have the artists who are taking the technology and thinking like, oh, what can I do with this? And are pushing that envelope, right? The artists are saying like, okay, I can do this with this kind of technology, but how about, how about I do this other thing? It's like, you know, MacGyver with, with Q-tips and toothpicks could really build anything. And so I think these artists are taking... Uh, historic what may have been fundamental tools and now are much more sophisticated tools and they're pushing the envelope. Well, then you have the engineers who are coming, well, wait a minute, these artists are asking us to build this. Let's build something. We can do this. You know, it may look a bit like a Frankenstein at first, but let's just build it to make it work. And now we're pushing the engineering envelope. And then you have the artist who comes in, well, you know, if I now have this more sophisticated tool, let me see what I can do with that. So, I think one of at least one of the reasons why I think our industry is evolving at such a tremendous rate is because you have this this collaboration, this synergistic approach to uh, to creating things. And you have one side, the science, the engineering side that is pushing the art art and vice versa. So we have like this constant upward movement in in what we're doing. And that's the research, right? There you have, that's, that's what we do. And I think we do it just by nature. Um, I think that asking the questions is very important, right? So research fundamentally aims to ask questions, make us think, make us experiment. Um, and um, we have like in our program, this is the core of our master's program. We have students think about what is the future of the technology? Like, where are we going? Um, innovation to us is very important. It doesn't have to be something huge, but if every student contributes to a new idea or uh, asks a new question or or does a new experiment, the, the sum of all those pieces will make us grow in the future. And I think ultimately, why I think research is very important is we're all looking for the same thing. I think ultimately we're all looking to have ways to be able to better express ourselves, to be give people, musicians, humans, a better form of expressing the, their ideas, their thoughts, what they want to feel like. We're all moving in that same direction. Um, and uh, research is very important for that so that we have both a better understanding of how we perceive things, but also 
this experimentation. Experimentation is so important and it's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking of not being satisfied with what you have in front of you and just doing the same thing over and again with the tools that you have available to you now, but thinking, what is the next step? Where could you go next? How can you make things uh, more compelling, better? How could you create tools that allows composers to compose the music that they have in their head or whatever it is that that you're looking at? Um, I think it just allows us as humans to evolve. I loved that answer. There, there was a book uh, that I read a while back um, that inspired me called The Art of Physics. And it talked about how all these artists had kind of really come up with a lot of these concepts that physicists, you know, sort of later described and, you know, using kind of more mathematics. But, um, you know, art really, I think, in kind of having artistic thinking is the way that we can start to get our, um, get out into kind of just exploring ideas that, you know, can later be described, you know, in more scientific terms. But if we don't have that creative element of thinking, you know, we can't expand beyond kind of our current state of knowledge. And I think that the two are very, very important, uh, symbiotic relationships. And, um, you know, I'm always fascinated hearing how people are exploring ways of bringing art and science together more. No, absolutely. And when it comes down to the to the field of spatial audio, I mean, spatial audio has been a part of us for forever. For since I think humans were set were were, were humans, and when we were even in caves, spatial audio has always had, had such a magical component in in what we do. And uh, when you look at the composers through history, composers, uh, some composers made a point to explore spatial audio and placing choirs around you in a, in a church or using uh, instruments that were placed in different locations um, or voices that were placed in different locations. So this has always been something that's that's been such a big part of us. You know, we, ta- we think about, oh, immersive audio or spatial audio. Oh, it's this new thing. It's not at all. It's it's been a part of us for I think ever since ever since we documented um, the experiences of humans. My next question is very specific. Um, I really enjoyed reading Immersive Sound: Art and Science of Binaural Multi-Channel Audio Book that yourself and Paul Galuso were the editors of. Can you talk about the process of writing and editing? Um, such an important book for spatial audio community because as far as I know, um, the book has become quite popular among the faculties for teaching, in, including a couple of universities where I had uh, opportunity to teach as well. Yeah, so um, Paula and I started working on this book a, a number of years ago and it really the idea for the book came out of the fact that um, we both teach courses um, that incorporate immersive sound into the class. So I teach a class on 3D audio Paul teaches, has been teaching classes, uh, recording and production and incorporating an immersive sound. And um, uh, the book came out of really necessity. You know, they say necessity is the mother of all invention. And I think this is a perfect example of that, uh, where we needed to have a book for our courses, for our students that would bring together uh, the the a description of the science of the of the techniques of of immersive sound and immersive sound reproduction, and so we also realize that we are not deep experts in all of these areas, but that we have 
um, access to experts who have spent decades working on very focused and specific um, areas within immersive sound. And um, so we uh, reached out to, we really picked people who are experts in their areas of, that we wanted to cover in the book. And we were very fortunate to to invite and work with these experts. So um, it took us a while to, to put together a list, a group of, of people who we invited and worked with them uh, for a number of, of months um, to design a chapter. E each chapter focuses on a different aspect of immersive sound, um, both looking at the, uh, the history of, of immersive sound, looking at the psychoacoustics of immersive sound, and then really focusing on the reproduction aspect of uh, binaural through um, um, Binaural reproduction over loudspeakers. Look at looking at surround sound and object-based audio, wavefield synthesis, uh, sound field, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so we well, really loved the output of uh, what everybody put together. We tried to make sure that it is kind of in a, in a similar voice. This is why Paul and I spent some time kind of going over all the chapters, making I'm sure that it's it's coherent. Uh, but we're thrilled with the outcome, and we were very privileged to work with these experts in in their field of um, of immersive sound. I will say, I remember when that book came out, and I bought it. As soon as they could. <laughs> well, I was about to say to all our listeners, if you haven't read it, just like Monica, go ahead and buy this book. I think I read it three times and the way I read it, it felt like it was a different book every single time. Depending on what mindset you are or what you're focusing at the time, you just find different things. So you learn a ton. It's a brilliant piece of um, education there uh, from all sorts of angles. Yeah, you know, one thing that we were mindful of is, as as any book is in um, in technology, is we we wanted this book to be a long lasting book, so it doesn't become obsolete the day after it's published, and uh, so we really focused on the science. We focused because that's not going to change, no matter how the the technology changes and how what kind of tools we have to work with. The, the science doesn't change and the principles don't change. So a lot of the focus in that book is really on the what's under the hood and how things work and the physics and um, uh, and the principles, the the physical principles and the scientific principles of immersive sound. And then you can apply that to anything that you do. And that's going to be hopefully true for a very, very long time. Um, so that was the the core focus of what we wanted to produce. And I know when that book came out, there wasn't a lot of books about immersive audio, um, and especially from, again, the scientific perspective and bringing together so much research um, uh, that is out there and, you know, continues to be out there. I think it's a really important piece of work. So thank you for your contributions. <laughs> With so many contributions to the industry, but... Yeah, no, no, my pleasure. And I think it's now that uh, we also have um, a lot more applications of immersive sound, I think it is a necessary book um, uh, that and also all the other wonderful books that came out um, recently as well, uh, because it allows us and our students and and professionals, some you know, people who've been working in sound for, for many, many years to have access to, to knowledge that will hopefully help them uh, create um, tools and and experiences that are that are compelling and again help us move this this field forward. That guiding principle of focusing on science first and kind of 
avoiding hype and kind of temporary aspects of uh, technology has definitely come across uh, uh, overall because, you know, the book remains on the reading, essential reading list for students uh, for a number of years. Switching into, you know, talking about the future of spatial audio, um, Agnieszka, I think you are uh, particularly poised for um, answering what lies ahead for spatial audio technology and how can it help create and empower immersive experiences? Well, I think that in general, um, audio is something that is becoming and will become more even in the, in the near future, something that will become just part of our lives, just be completely integrated into everything that we do. We're already seeing this, right? In our cars, in our homes, in uh, intelligence systems, um, we're, we're wearing, um, we, we are wearing much more um, technology on our bodies these days. And technology is really becoming a part of us. And I always like to think that the, the best kind of technology is the kind of technology that you don't even notice that it's there. And that it's just... It's, it's such a natural thing. Like, can you imagine a life without smartphones? Like, like I have I have two kids. And like, what? When you were our age, you didn't have a smart. Like, how did you live? How did you communicate with your friends? Um, and so um, I think that from from an audio perspective, from a spatial audio, immersive sound perspective, I think it's we will start to see an integration of immersive sound much more in our daily lives. I imagine. Uh, five, 10, some years, some number of years down the line where um, it'll be normal that I encounter, I see my friend on the street and I will be wearing my augmented reality glasses that will probably not be glasses anymore, maybe some, some contact lenses and I'll have information about who they are. I maybe will be able to, to hear them in a more optimal way, depending on what kind of hearing impairment I might have or Maybe um, they're, they'll be speaking to me in another language and I will just get automatic translation uh, coming to me in real time. So I think that we will see an integration of audio in a more natural way into in our daily lives um, and in a way that will help us communicate with people better. I think that we will um, see immersive sound technologies more, much more accessible to to musicians, to to really anybody, to be able to express themselves and compose music and get what is inside their head and manifest itself in a in a real way. And um, um, I think we'll see technologies that will be um, that will allow us to create music, maybe from various different things, where you no longer need to take. I don't know, 10 years of piano lessons before you can play something that is that is compelling. Um, so I am what I'm starting to see now is, first of all, immersive sound is everywhere. It is in our cars. It is the music that we listen to. It is in, in cinema. Uh, more than that, I'm starting to see a lot more of interactive sound that is available to you. I mean, when you, uh, with Dolby Atmos, we have the, the ability to, uh, or just with object-based audio, we have now sound objects that you're able to manipulate and, and change. And you have head tracking that is integrated into, uh, into off-the-shelf consumer products. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, so I think that um, in general, uh, immersive sound will allow us to create uh, experiences on a daily basis that are much more personalized in nature, much more compelling in nature. Um, and um, I also see 
where we're going in the direction of collaborations not being limited to the people who are in the room. And we're, of course, we're seeing this. And I think that COVID, the pandemic, accelerated this. I mean, it's so natural now to have uh, to meet with people over Zoom. And we do this every day, every day. And we do this more and more. And that's not going to go away. But I think what will happen is that those kind of collaborations, those kind of meetings will become much more natural and will um, will um not be just me looking at people on, on, on my screen, little, on little squares, but where the people that I'm meeting with will be in my room. And for all intensive purposes, they will seem as real to me as meeting with a, a, a person uh, that is in the same place at the same time. So I think we'll see a lot of barriers being broken. I think the technology will, will become uh, so natural that uh, it'll be just, yeah, just normal that we're meeting with people and they'll, they're just going to seem as real to me as uh, they would if they were in the same room. Well, it's great to hear kind of how you're, how you see this uh, progressing with all of the time you've spent thinking about this, I'm sure. Um, so what is the best way to find out more about yourself and the work you do? And also on that note, um, you know, kind of What's a good way to find, I know there's so much research going on in this field. Um, Where are some good places to get more information and kind of follow some of the research studies that are happening? Um, Yeah, so first uh, to get in contact with me, um, just typing in my name uh, 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 and looking on NYU is probably the best place. My email is rginskatnyu.edu. The best place to find really about what people are working on is and the Audio Engineering Society, I think is like your first stop. It's the first stop because it's um, a gathering of probably the largest community of people who are thinking about these things, especially immersive sound in, in the world. So going through the AES, if you're not a member of the AES, you should become a member of the AES uh, because it'll allow you to have access to so many reading materials, to videos, to a community um, that is into everything that that people are into in immersive sound. Um, there are so many conferences that are happening. There are so many uh, webinars and events um, that are happening. Um, uh, I mean, just this year alone, I can think of uh, conventions and, and conferences and spatial audio and, um, uh, and a bunch of audio uh, for virtual and augmented reality events. So um, the first stop is the AES for sure. So start there. And I guess on that note, um, I know uh, there's going to be a spatial audio conference coming up in Huddersfeld. Um, Would you like to maybe give a little plug for that conference? Yeah, sure. So um, there's a spatial audio conference organized um, in August in Huddersfield. It's an AES conference. And um, the focus of the conference is going to be um, practices, research in spatial audio from for recording engineers, for uh, people who are interested in binaural reproduction, for multi-channel reproduction, for capturing of, of experiences. It's going to bring, uh, I just know at least some of the people who are going to be there, and it's going to bring experts in this field from all over the world. Um, so there will be paper presentations, workshop presentations. Huddersfield has a 
beautiful listening space. They have um, actually multiple spaces with multi multiple channels. Um, so I know that it's not it's not just going to be a conference where you go and you listen to papers and people talk. No, you're going to get to hear a lot of music being played and a lot of experiences being uh, played back. Um, and uh, you'll have a chance to connect with people who um, are really the biggest experts in the world on this topic. What piece of advice could you give to young students and professionals who are considering joining our industry today that helped you in your career? I think that um, learning um, is very important. So there, there, there are a few things. One is um, start to, to learn about audio and start to dive um, into uh, the area of what is most interesting to you. I mean, right now, audio technology is so huge and it's it's impossible to know everything. And, it's impossible, and it's just, it's, there's so much out there, but there's also an incredible amount of access to this information. So I remember when I was a student, I was just, I was hungry for information. I mean, you asked me, when do I sleep? Well, I sleep now. When I was a student, I just thought there's so much exciting stuff for me to be learning about. I, I literally didn't sleep very much at all. I was just reading papers and I, I couldn't get enough of the knowledge and of the information and, and talking to people about things. So, um, but what drove me is because I was so passionate about it. And this is what I tell my students, find what you love to do. Like find what is it, that thing that you just can't sleep at night, that you just want to do over and over again, that you want to learn about more. If you can align yourself with the part of our field, because um, I'm assuming that, you know, people who are listening to this are into audio already. But if you can align yourself with a part of our audio field, music technology field that truly lights up that fire inside of you that's the best and feed off of that and then learn everything you can learn about that. Very importantly also is to connect with people who inspire you, connecting with a community that inspires you. Because I mean, for me, I am so inspired by talking to people. I love to go to to conferences and hang out with people and just, just talk about stuff, talk about audio and talk about other things. It inspires me. And when I'm talking to people, that's when I get ideas. And so connecting with a community is very important and connecting and and mentorship, I think, is also very important. And mentorship goes both ways, by the way. So to me, mentorship is important to find mentors for yourself, to connect with people who can um, who can talk to you and advise you and kind of talk about where you want to go. But mentorship is also important the other way. It's important for all of us to become mentors to other people, uh, to, to students, to 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 others. Um, and then you build this beautiful community who feeds off of one another and it becomes like this, this circle and it just keeps on going. Um, so I think mentorship is also very important in all of this. Agnieszka, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash Immersive Audio Podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. 
Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.